Welcome, guys, to church. So glad to have you guys here with us. And uh, as always, want to welcome those of you who are watching online in Portland or Arizona, Alaska, California, wherever you are. I know we have some people watching on the East Coast as well. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. We are at the end of our series, um, this series that was really like unplanned for me. Um, when it came to January 1st, that first Sabbath, preparing the message, this series kind of came together, and it turned out to be a six-part series, which is kind of long, but we're here at the end of the series, and I'm super excited to, to share today's message with you guys. The series is called The Year of Jesus, The Year of Jesus, and based on the graphic, the underlying question is, who is Jesus to you? And what this series has been about is uh, taking Jesus seriously. Like, that's my hope and my prayer, that this year would be the year of Jesus for you, that it's the year where you began taking Jesus seriously. So we've gone through five different, what we're calling versus statements, to help us kind of identify whether I am really taking Jesus seriously or not. Like, am I just kind of following him, or am I following him the way he asked me to follow him? So it's really been like a, a season of evaluation, and like, where am I at? Where's my faith at? Have I, am I really right, going in the right direction if this is what I want to do? So real quick, just to kind of recap, um, these are the five versus statements that we've gone through over the last few weeks. Uh, it was decision versus commitment. It was knowledge versus intimacy. Is Jesus as one of many versus Jesus as the one and only. It was their faith versus my faith, where we talked about ownership over faith. And last week, Pastor Jonathan shared a great message about being self-empowered, just trying hard, or being spirit-filled. And so the left side of this list are kind of where, where, where you're not really following Jesus, if this is where you're at, and the other side is what he has asked us to do. So um, this is what we've talked about. If you want kind of more information, if you want to learn more and go into detail, I think all the messages have been really powerful, um, and I feel like God has been moving through this. So I want to point you to our YouTube channel or wherever you download podcasts, like a Rock Fellowship, and you'll find all these sermons, as well as all the other sermons that we preach in this church. Now, as we close, we don't have a verse statement. We don't have a verse statement today. Today is kind of about, okay, now what? What do we do? And for a couple weeks, I've been kind of teasing out like the real application of this message is coming today. Like the other ones we didn't really talk about. I said later on we're going to give you the handles and what you can really do. And that's going to happen at the end of today's message. Um, but as we close this up, I was really challenged by this message. And I think it's going to be um, really special for some of you guys. And I'm hoping that it's going to give you a new perspective and give you a new way to think about your faith and your decision to follow follow Jesus. Let's pray and let's get into today's talk. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your words. And I thank you so much for, for the experiences that you've had in, in, the, in the New Testament. I thank you so much for the accounts that were given to us so we can understand and learn and grow and see what your intention for us was. And so God, as, as we just sang, Lord, I invite the Holy Spirit into this place because you are the one that's going to make this meaningful. You're the one that's going to make this time count. So Father, be here in this place. Take us to where you want us to go. In your name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 18. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone, a uh, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. Oh, sorry. Um, 
When he had gone a little farther, no, no. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. One more story, Mark chapter 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. We read, you've read these stories if you grew up in church. These stories of when the disciples were called into ministry. And he, Jesus, the scenario seems like Jesus walked up to them, follow me, and they just got up and left. And you look at this story, and it's amazing, isn't it? And this is what we think of when we read these stories of these disciples. We say, that's insane. I can't believe they did that. These guys, their faith, right, like they just walked away. They just walked away from their lives. They just walked away from their family business. They're disappointing their parents. They're walking away. All their friends are like, what are you doing? But they're giving it up because they want to follow Jesus. And we, we marvel at this. And it's so impressive. But let's be honest. Isn't it also intimidating when you read these stories? Because you read these guys who gave up everything to follow Jesus in a moment. And what's the thought that we have? I don't think I can do that. I got kids. I got work. I got a project. I don't think I can do that, man. And so when you read this story, it can be kind of a, an obstacle almost or a hindrance to your decision to follow Jesus because I can't do it like Peter or James or John or Matthew. I don't have that faith. I'm not that kind of a person. But as I've been studying and thinking and reading, I want to say something surprising. I kind of think that that decision wasn't as difficult as we make it out to be. Which I know maybe seems heretical. Like, what are you talking about? This is what we've been talking about for years. But if you think about it, and if you know about their system of education, I don't think it was actually as hard as we think. It was not easy. I'm sure there were concerns and issues and things they were worried about. But I don't think it was actually that hard to make that decision. And here's the crazy thing. I don't think at this time, at this first invitation, I don't know if the disciples had as much faith as we think they did. If you know about the first century uh, Israel, Jerusalem system of education, this begins to make sense. And if you're familiar with that, Awesome, you can just kind of ignore me for the next couple of minutes. If you don't, this is really important that you understand because this is where, why I'm saying what I'm saying. So when you were born into that world, into that culture, into that society, education worked very differently than it does now, obviously. So the first thing you would do is when you entered into school, you'd enter into this thing called Beit Sefer. Beit Sefer, which meant house of the book. And this was elementary school. This was elementary school, and they would go, every, most all kids would go into Beit Sefer and attend school. And um, so, you know, in our children's ministry, if you guys don't know, this is a really cool thing they're doing this year, is one of the big projects for the year is for the entire children's ministry to memorize Psalm 100, the whole psalm, right? That's cool, right? Because some of our kids are going to have more Bible memorized than any of you at the end of this year. That's amazing, right? When you entered Beth Sefer, the goal was at the end of your schooling, which would end around 12 years old, you would have the first five books of the entire Bible memorized word for word. 
they could do that. We got no excuse, guys. <laughs> when your kids are like, I can't remember. Yes, you can. You know what the first century Jews did, right? They would memorize the first five books of the Bible. And that was mostly all kids. At age 12, 13, their schooling would end. And most kids, most males, would go back to their family home and go to their family business. Most women, most girls, would get married and start having kids at age 13 and 14. The best of the best of Beit Sefer, the best of the best, would move on to the next level. It was called Beit Talmud, House of Learning. And in the Beit Talmud, you would kind of do similar things. You would learn and learn, and you'd go to the synagogue and be learning from, like, the, you know, the things there. And the goal at that would be to memorize, guess what? The rest of the entire Old Testament. The whole thing, word for word. Now, what would happen then is most people would make it there, but the top, the summa cum laude, right? Like the best of the best, the MVPs of the school, the valedictorians, they would go on to have, listen to this, the opportunity to become what they called a Talmudim, which was a disciple or a follower of a rabbi. Now notice, I said they were given the opportunity, not, the, not that they would become one. Because what would happen is if you were the best of the best of the best, you would finish Bet Talmud, and now you have to find a rabbi and ask the rabbi, can I follow you? And then the rabbi will say, mm, I don't know, let's see. And he would start grilling you on your knowledge of the Torah. And he would ask you all these crazy questions, and he would grill you for weeks. And then at the end of that interview process, if you were good enough, he would extend the invitation, come follow me. And then you would become the disciple of a rabbi with hopes to eventually become a rabbi yourself. And that was the dream. Okay, this is very important. That was the dream. That was the Jewish dream. Right? Every kid, every parent wanted their kid to grow up to be a rabbi one day. It would be amazing if you could be a rabbi. That was the dream. That's what everyone wanted to do. That's what everyone wanted to be because that was meant you made it. That was the best thing to be able to happen to you. And it was for the 1%. No, very, very few people could actually do this. So that means anyone who was not a rabbi, anyone who was a fisherman, a farmer, a carpenter, a, a, a baker, someone who made food, anyone who was not that meant that they couldn't make it. Anyone who was a fisherman meant they were a fisherman because they were not smart enough or good enough to make it to the next level. And they couldn't make it past that, and they couldn't make it past that. So these disciples, these fishermen, they are fishermen because why? They weren't good enough. They weren't smart enough. They didn't get the right GPA. They didn't say the right things at the interview. They're all doing that because they've been rejected. And then this guy Jesus comes along, this rabbi, albeit he's a kind of different controversial, edgy rabbi, like it's like kind of like making waves and people are like, who's this guy? But he's a rabbi nonetheless. And he comes to this stranger person that he's never met before, and he says, come, follow me. He's giving them a shot, a second chance at the dream. Before they couldn't make it. But now this rabbi out of nowhere gives them an opportunity to try again to become 
a disciple, and then maybe become a rabbi themselves. So I don't know if this was that hard of a decision for them. Because they've been giving not a once in a million opportunity, this is a once in never opportunity, a second chance. Even though before you were told over and over again that you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you cannot do it, you're not worthy, a new rabbi comes and says, hey, come follow me. That's crazy. Like this never, ever happened. I mean, think about those opportunities for you when you were given a second chance. Maybe it was on a test where you bombed it and you're like, oh my goodness, I bombed it. And then you found that your friend bombed it and you were like secretly happy they bombed it. And then you found that more people bombed it. So what does the teacher have to do? Okay, guys, we're retaking the test. You remember that feeling of joy at second chance? Maybe there was a girl or a boy that you confessed your feelings and your love to and they said, "Mm, sorry. But then they come back and they're like, hey, I've been thinking about it. Like, maybe we should give it a go, right? Like that feeling of, wow, a second chance. This is crazier than that. And so when they were given that question, I mean, I'm sure they had to think about it, but part of them are like, what? I get another shot at being a disciple? Like, you don't even know my grades. You don't even know what I got, but you're offering me the opportunity. This is insane what is happening right now. And I don't know if it was that difficult a decision. John Mark Comer, a pastor based in Portland, who I think has some of the best teaching around discipleship and following Jesus, he gives a modern day parallel. And this is what he says. That would be like a famous professor tweeting out today, if anybody wants a full ride scholarship to Stanford, Harvard, Yale, PUC, whatever, right, just the top schools, Just direct message, no problem. You don't have a high school diploma, no problem. Just connect with me after. This will never happen. This will never happen. But what if it did? What if you applied to school and you got rejected from your A schools? And then someone said to you, hey, we changed our mind. We're going to give you a full ride to come to Harvard. Want to go? I don't know. Is that a tough decision? Maybe. You still have to think about it. You still have to wonder about it. But it may be not as hard as we thought it was. And maybe the disciples didn't actually have so much faith like we thought. Now, later, they change. They transform. and They become completely different. But at this moment, they didn't really have that much faith. You know what they had? They had self-interest. They had self-interest. They were looking out for them. They're like, this is a great opportunity for me. They're not thinking about the kingdom of God. They're not thinking about all these, you know, grand things. They're thinking about, this is a great shot for me in my life. So I should take it immediately. And then it kind of makes sense. It's like, immediately I'm going to get up because this guy might find out something and change his mind. Immediately they get up and they go. And yes, they gave up things. They had to leave their family business. But if they made it in the first place, they would have left their family business anyway. And yes, they have to leave their, their homes and their things, but, but this is an, an opportunity that like no, no one ever has had. And maybe Matthew, you know, he's making a lot of money, right? He's a tax collect, collector. He's making all this money. So yeah, maybe he's going to make less money. I'm wondering, maybe he's like, I got enough money. I got enough money saved up, but this is going to change my rep. 
Like, this is going to bring healing to my relationships. Like, if my parents found out that I left being a tax collector and now I'm a disciple and a rabbi, maybe they'll invite me to dinner again. Maybe they'll have me over for Thanksgiving again. Maybe my family and my relationships, maybe people stop looking at me with hatred in their eyes. So I don't know. I don't know if this was that hard of a decision. And I don't know if they were at this moment so noble and so wonderful for us to think I could never be like that. But they wanted it. They wanted to be disciples. They wanted to follow this rabbi, even if it meant giving up stuff and sacrificing. They wanted it. They wanted They longed for it. They, they desired it. You know, they, they thought back to the times when they were kids, and they looked at the other guys in their town who were making it to the next level, and they're like, wow, that guy's so cool. He did it. They're remembering their, 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 when they were walking around in their, their neighborhood, and they heard the news that this one boy made it past Beit Talmud, and he's, he's going to become a Talmudian. And they're like, that's crazy. Someone from our town, our town is actually going to become a disciple. Those guys were heroes to them. They wanted this. And they were let down because they could not perform, and they're giving a second chance at receiving a shot at the Jewish dream. So here's my question. Here's the really difficult question then. They wanted it. Why don't we want it? Why is it that when you hear sermons about following Jesus and the sacrifice and the cost of discipleship and, and take up your cross and follow me, deny yourself, die daily, we're like, oh, I, don't know about, I don't know if I can do that. Why did they want it and we don't? And we would prefer to have this kind of Christian life that's kind of soft and kind of not super committed. And we're not really willing to go that far. Why do when we hear that, it's not even we don't want it, we're like turned away from it. And I know that most of you guys are probably thinking, well, it's like the sacrifice. Right? What if I have to go to Africa? What if I have to go to the Philippines? What if I have to go like wherever, right? And like give up all these things. And, and that's what you're I think that's actually not the reason. I think there's a far more fundamental reason why we may not want to follow Jesus even though we go to church. And listen, if you're like a person where you're like, I don't know if I believe in God, like I don't know if the whole this Jesus thing, and I just come here because this person makes me, and you're, I'm just watching because someone told me that I should. If that's you, like that's fine. I understand that maybe that doesn't make sense. I could see why you wouldn't want to follow Jesus. You don't even know Jesus, so why would you follow him? But for people who grew up in the church their entire lives, you believe church is important, you value it, you believe in God, you read the Bible, you pray, you sing the songs, and you help out. Why would we even, people like that, when we hear a message to call about going all in for Jesus, taking Jesus seriously, why would it be like, I don't know if I can do that. I got kids. I got a business. I got a new car. I got a lease. I got a, like, why wouldn't we want it. Why don't you want it? See, I don't think you don't want it because you're a bad person. I don't think that you are, 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 are pushing back against the idea of following Jesus because you don't have enough faith. I don't think that. Because the disciples, I don't think they had that much faith at this time. And you see them throughout their life with Jesus, like fighting and not getting it and not understanding and not having faith. Yes, they change later, right? And that's the process of following Jesus, what happens to you. But at this moment, I don't think they did. So I don't think that's why you don't want to. 
See, what the disciples had that's different than us is they had, and this is so key for us, they had a specific worldview. And when I say worldview, they looked at the world and they looked at life a specific way. And they all looked at it because that was their culture and that was their life. We live in a different place, a different time. And so we have a different worldview. But let me tell you what their worldview was like. For the average Jewish person in first century Israel, for Peter, James, John, their worldview was that spiritual life and everyday life were one thing. They didn't look at their lives as spiritual life here, everyday life, physical life, job life here. It was all unified as one single thing. Spiritual life and Everyday life were intermingled, interconnected, twisted together. Like, and it reminds me of, you know, one of those donut twists? I don't know what they're called. Are they called donut twists or twisted donut? You know, the one that's twisted, right? How many of you guys love those donuts? All right. Do any of you tear it and take apart the twist and eat it? No. Right? Really? That's crazy. I was like, there's no way anyone does that because that's insane. Anyway, like I think of that, right? It's a donut that's twisted, right? It, they're one thing. Everyday life and spiritual life were twisted and interconnected and overlapped all on each other. And that's how they saw life. So, so for them, becoming spiritually successful was the same thing as becoming successful earth in an earthly way. Become, growing spiritually was the same thing as growing personally. Their worldview was that everything was one Yes, they had Sabbath hours, and that was a special time, but their entire life was both spiritual and physical. And that's how they viewed their lives. And we don't necessarily view our lives in that way. In fact, when Jesus came and he was teaching, he said, I have come, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, the word he uses here, there are three Greek words to, to, that translate to life. They are suke, bios, and zoe. Suke is the word that we get our word psychology from. So it has to do with life in terms of like the emotions, the mind, the, the inner world. Bios is the, uh, the word where we get, obviously probably you guys know, biology, so it refers to physical life, right? Like animal life and, and heartbeats and, and lungs and pancreas and liver, like all that stuff, right? Photosynthesis, all those kinds of things. And that last word, zoe, was a word that Jesus used. And according to Strong's Dictionary, which is, if you guys don't know, Strong's is kind of like the dictionary for the Bible, zoe meant this, life, both physical and spiritual existence. It was both spiritual and physical, and when Jesus says, I have come to give you abundant life, he's talking about a life that is interconnected spiritually and physically. He doesn't come to say, I'm gonna give you abundant life, I'm gonna give you abundant spiritual life. Like, I'm just gonna bless you spiritually and you're gonna feel good. No, he says, I'm gonna give you abundant life. And life for him, physical, spiritual, we're all one single thing, unified connected, integrated. In fact, when he came on the scene and he preached the good news, I don't know if you remember what his message was, the good news or the gospel. We talked about this in a former series, Mark chapter one. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near, or as other translations, the kingdom of God has, is here. 
meaning life in the kingdom and life on earth are now one and the same thing. They can be now one and the same. It's no longer, it's no longer life on earth, and then I die, and then life in the kingdom. He said, no, 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 I brought the kingdom forward. And we're living on earth and in the kingdom at the same time. This was their worldview. This is how they saw life and their world, and that's why they longed then to be disciples. That's why they wanted to follow Jesus. So if we see our lives as separate, as spiritual life and everyday life, spiritual life and physical life, spiritual life and professional life, as separate things, you will not see the value of following Jesus. And if in this moment you're like, I don't know about following Jesus, I don't know if I want to, I don't see the value, of course not. Why would you? Because when you see these two things as separate things, following Jesus pits them against each other. Right? When you separate the things and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, that means you're saying, I'm going to be more spiritual, and that's going to push against and ruin and be a hindrance to my everyday physical, professional life. Is that not true? Because we have created this separation that was never intended there to be. If we don't bring these two together, you won't want to follow Jesus. It's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you don't have enough faith. It's because you see things differently than the disciples did. You live in a different place and have a different worldview. Now let me ask you guys a question to kind of like help us bring this home, like make this really personal. And I was reading, and this question came up in the book, and it was like, oh, it like got to me. And the question is this, do you respect Jesus? Okay, and I really want you guys to answer that question. Do you respect Jesus? And I know most of you guys are like, yeah, yeah, of course I do. I respect Jesus. I mean, he's Jesus. Of course I respect Jesus. Okay, do you respect Jesus like in all the areas of your life? Or some of the areas of your life? Like all the areas. I'm talking about all the areas like like physical body, like working out, exercising, uh, uh, to, to your family, to your relationships, to your career, to your job, to like the technical aspects of your job, to your grades, to the classes you're taking? Do you respect it? And what I mean by this is, do you value his opinion in those areas of your life? Like, if Jesus were to give you advice in all the areas of your life, would they have weight? Or would you be like, I don't know, Jesus, I don't know if you really understand. Like, does he have authority over every part of your life? Would his words have weight in every part of your life? Would you take his advice in every part of your life? And I think for most of us, when I ask that question, do you respect Jesus, you're like, yeah. And then I say, in all areas, you're like, uh, I don't know. Some areas, for sure. Like, spiritually, Jesus, you're my man. Right? When it comes to spiritual stuff, for sure. When it comes to emotional stuff, yeah. Like when I get sad and struggle, I'm, I pray and I go to the Bible. Like, yeah, yeah. When it comes to relationships, for sure. I know Jesus wants me to love people. He shows me how to love people. Fantastic. I'll do that. I'll go to Jesus. When it comes to raising my kids and my family, like that's so important. Yeah, I totally trust Jesus' advice. But what about the other parts? Right? Like, if you're a student, would you take Jesus' advice when it comes to your chemistry test? 
Would you take advice, his advice when it came to, to, to P.E.? All right, let's bring this home. Let's bring this, make this real personal, right? And this, is the, this is a challenge when you go to a church where I know everybody because I know a lot of stuff about you. If you're a dentist, I'm not going to look at anybody. Would you take Jesus' advice on your dentistry? If you're a physician, would you take Jesus' advice on treatment plans for your patients? If you're a business owner, would you take Jesus' advice on how to run your business? If you're an accountant, would you take Jesus' advice on how to set up your spreadsheet? If you're a programmer or a coder, would you take Jesus' advice? I don't know much about programming, so to do the stuff that you're going to do as a programmer or a, a coder. If you're an artist, would you take Jesus' advice on how to make your art or how to write your book or how to write this? Now, I, I get it. It's like, oh, I don't know. I'm a pastor, so this is really easy for me, right? Like, Chris, do you respect Jesus? No, no, like, not really. I don't really respect Jesus. Right? That doesn't make sense, right? By definition, my whole life is wrapped up, spiritual life, physical life, all one thing. So I get that it's really easy for me to say, yes, I totally respect Jesus in my professional life. And I know that it's a harder for you because for you, if you're a business owner, you're like, well, Jesus didn't really own a business. I guess you could say maybe he had a carpentry business, but apparently that failed. That didn't really work out. <laughs> or like Jesus wasn't a dentist. So I don't know. It's hard to take advice from somebody who's not a dentist. If I'm a dentist. Jesus wasn't a, a physician. He wasn't a doctor. Yeah, he healed people like in amazing ways, but he wasn't in the OR. Like, he wasn't in the ER. He didn't see patients. He didn't deal with these people, these patients. Like, did he really know about, like, all these diseases and stuff like that? Like, I don't know. Jesus wasn't an accountant, so I, how, how can I really take his advice? I mean, Jesus didn't know teeth. He didn't know teeth. He, did, he didn't know about strategic planning. He didn't know about business policies. He didn't know about C++ and Python, and Java, and, and all that stuff. He doesn't know those things. But as I'm saying that, do you guys sense like there's something weird about what I'm saying? Like that's kind of weird. And, and as you think about it, do you hear the absurdity in what I'm saying? Jesus don't know teeth. What are you talking about? Jesus doesn't know about medical procedures. Yeah, he didn't go to dental school. He didn't go to medical school. He didn't go to business school. But he's Jesus. He's God. Like, yeah, maybe he didn't know those things that I learned in my training. But I think Jesus knows teeth. I think Jesus knows about the human body. He didn't go to medical school. Guess what? He created the human body. He didn't go to business school, but he created an organization that has lasted for 2,000 years and has changed the world. Right? He, 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 he didn't go to programming school, but I don't know, he programmed the universe, man. He's Jesus. He's God. He didn't go to marketing school, but I feel like he knows a thing or two. Like when I think about it, I realize that, guys, if you had a moment where you're like, I trust him, and he has, he has a, a, a valid opinion and advice in these areas, like my family and my relationships and my feelings, but not really in my everyday job, Maybe your life is more disconnected than you thought. 
If you feel like Jesus cannot speak into your technical, the technical aspects of your work, maybe you've created a disconnect between spiritual life and everyday life that you didn't know was there. See, Jesus is worthy of your respect in all aspects of your life. Right? Like, not just the fluffy, abstract things, but the everyday things. And not even how you treat people at your job, but your job. He can help you be better in all those ways. See, we see things differently than the disciples. There was a time where the disciples had a moment where Jesus gave them advice about their field of industry and expertise, and they were like, Jesus, I don't think you really know much about our field, so maybe, Jesus, you stay in your lane. Right? There was a time where Jesus was with his disciples and they were fishing, and Jesus, the non-fisherman, gave advice to the experienced professional fishermen, and they're like, mm, Jesus, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. And if you grew up in church, what happened? What happened? In Luke chapter 5, verse 7, they did what he said, and they signaled to their partners in their other boats to come and help, and they came and filled the boat so full that they began to sink. When Jesus, the non-fisherman, the carpenter, the teacher, the rabbi, who had no business giving advice to professional fishermen, gave them advice, they pushed back. They didn't seem to respect his opinion when it came to fishing, but when they did, they hauled in the greatest catch of their lives. So much where they needed multiple boats to gather all the fish they had caught. And this is what happens right afterwards. Immediately after that, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. In this moment, in the most real and tangible way, in the most fantastic way, heaven and earth became one for them. Spiritual life, the spiritual reality of their lives, and the reality of their earthly lives came crashing down, and they saw it as extremely real in front of their very eyes, and all Peter could do was fall down and worship. See, their worldview was completely different than ours. For some of us, our, our, our worldview, the spiritual life, and the everyday physical life are more disconnected than connected are less unified than maybe we thought. Because if you do, it's not a question of should I follow Jesus. Because if you do, you see the value of following Jesus. Because when you do, you'll see the beauty of Jesus. But until you do, until you do, until you can bring these together, as, until you can decompartmentalize your life, until you can overlap the spiritual and the everyday life that you live at home and at work and at school and in that test and in final seasons and in projects, until you can do that, you will not ever be able to fully see the value of following Jesus. You will not be able to see fully the beauty of Jesus, and you will not fully be able to see the genius, the genius of Jesus at home, at work, at the office, in the living room. But when you do, when you bring these together, it's not even going to be that hard of a decision for you. 
in that moment when Jesus said, come, follow me, immediately you'll get up from your table. Immediately you'll get up from your seat. And you'll say yes. When that happens. So that invitation Jesus made to his disciples said, come and follow me, he's making that to us. Right, in, this, in this series where we talk about the year of Jesus, we got to talk about the invitation. The invitation has been extended to you. And it's not about, and if you don't want it, if you're pushing back, it's not about making you want something you don't want. Because that's really hard, right? That's like borderline impossible to want something that you don't want. The question is not how can I want to follow Jesus when I don't want to follow Jesus. The question is how can I shift my perspective and my worldview? How can I bring together the spiritual realities of life and the, the physical realities of life and bring them together? How can I have a new way to see things? And that is much easier than wanting something that you never wanted. And, and, and the perfect example is if you just think about Two years ago, five years ago, tens of years ago, you have a different worldview, don't you? Right? You see the world differently than you used to, right? It changed. And for some of you, after COVID and the pandemic, it changed. As, as, as recently as even two years ago, you see everything differently now. It's not as hard to change a worldview as it is to change a heart. So the question is not how can I make myself, will myself, to want to follow Jesus. No, the question is, how can I put myself in a place where I can begin to see the world differently? How can I experience the things that I need to experience to see that the realities of spiritual life are just as real as this table and this pew and this sweater? How can I do that? And this is where it comes down to the ask of this series. Again, I teased it for a couple weeks now. There's a way. There's a way, there's an experience that we can have that can help us move and shift our perspectives to see the reality of spiritual life and to bring and integrate spiritual life and everyday life to make them one single thing, just the way Jesus talked about it when he talked about life. And it's something that we're introducing starting next week. So starting next week for 40 days, 40 days, so just a couple weekends, 40 days, we're starting up a new Sabbath afternoon group. And it's going to happen after potluck, which is back, uh, as you guys know. Um, after potluck, we're going to be meeting. It's going to be about an hour and a half to two hour long afternoon session. So it's not nothing, right? It's not like some little thing um, that we're going to be going through. And it's going to be uh, uh, in community, an experience and, and, a, and a conversation and, and a, a thing that we do together to help us see God moving in our lives. And when we see God moving in our lives, guess what? The spiritual reality of our lives and the physical reality start coming together. So it's a way that we're going to start being able in community to see God actually moving and see God in a very real way. And so we're starting that next week. And I'm not going to give too much detail right now. So here's my ask. If you want to do this, and this is not for everybody because there's a high level of commitment involved. Like if you can't join for 40 days, Maybe this is not the right time for you, and that's okay, right? Like, maybe you're not in the right season to focus on this. But if that's something that you want to do, I just want you to come down. Uh, maybe the front right here in these, on my right to your left, the first few pews there. And I'll give you some of the details about what this looks like. And if you join at the, the, that, that area of the church after service, it doesn't mean that you're joining. It means that you just want to find out. And then you get to think about it, and then next week, if you want to join, 
you will join, and then you're locked in for the next 40 days, okay? So it's something that we're starting. It's called discipleship groups. Pastor Jonathan and I did it with a number of other pastors, and it was a huge blessing for us. It really helped us to grow. It's a lot of about accountability, and, and you gotta understand, it's not a Bible study, okay? Now, there's gonna be Bible study probably happening in it. There's gonna be parts where we're gonna study the Bible and talk about the Bible a lot, but it's not a Bible study. It's not a class, it's not a workshop, it's not, a, it's not like I'm gonna give you sheets and you're gonna fill in the blank, it's not like that, it's different. It's, it's a conversation, it's accountability, it's learning from each other, hearing about how God is moving. And so I wanna extend this invitation to all of you guys. If you wanna be a part of this, and I believe what it's going to do is gonna help us to integrate spiritual life and physical life to be one and the same thing. We're gonna start next week. If you want information about it, come to after service, sit here, uh, and then they're gonna have potluck, and then as soon as we're done, it's not gonna be very long, you can go and have potluck. But that's the ask, that's the handle, that's the application for the year of Jesus, is to join this group if that's what you want to do. Now, I believe this group is gonna be a smashing success, and if it is, like I think it's going to be, we're gonna have other rounds of this, and so you can join later when we do this at a different time that might be better for you. But that's what we're gonna be doing starting next week. If you wanna learn, join us after service. Just take a seat at the front pews over there. So as we conclude this series, The Year of Jesus, you know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if something is happening in you, but my hope and prayer is at least, at the very least, that the needle has been moved in the direction of following Jesus. That maybe one or two steps, something is happening in you and inside of you that makes you feel like, okay, maybe I want to take Jesus seriously in my life this year. And so what I want to do as we close this series, I just want to pray for you and pray for everyone in that place and pray that really, truly 2022, this year, would be the year of Jesus. Later on in life, you can be like, yeah, that, that year, 2022, man, I took Jesus seriously, and man, it was amazing. It changed my life. Like, that's the stories that I want to hear down the line. So as we close this series, let me pray for you, and we're going to end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, God, for the invitation. Because as magnificent and gracious the invitation was to the disciples is just as amazing for us, God. Like, we're nobodies 2,000 years removed from when you were alive here on this earth, constantly making mistakes, constantly saying the wrong things, thinking the wrong things, having secret desires that are not right, and yet you've still invited us to follow you. Knowing that we might misrepresent you, Knowing that we may make you look bad, you put, you put it out there for us. And God, I just pray that someone here in this room would start to take you seriously and start to take following you seriously. And I, I, I wanna pray that we would begin to want it, you know? I don't know if that's gonna happen, but I, I, I wanna pray, Lord, that you would stir in us a desire but at the very least, if that's not going to happen, give us experiences to change the way we see life. Help us to realize, God, that you are worthy. Not just of us surrendering our spiritual lives to you or our families or our feelings, but you are worthy of having authority over our businesses and our work and our finances and in everything. Let us surrender it all to you. Father, if there's anyone in this place who wants to take the step forward in their relationship with you, 
Don't let this moment pass without nothing happening, Lord. Whether they join for our discipleship group in the next season, or they just make a change in their life, reading a book or praying or reading, whatever, let us not move past this moment with nothing. Father, be with our people here in this room and those who are watching online. And may this be the year, the year we took you seriously. In your name we pray, amen.